0: From the power of voices in Los Angeles, this is Full Body Frequency. I'm Mark Hargett, in for Laura Rice. For those of you joining Full Body Frequency for the first time, you're in for a treat. This show first aired last year and features the full figure and fabulous award-winning and critically acclaimed writer, director, producer, and actress, Carla Stilwell. Stillwell has been in the entertainment industry for over 30 years, and really must have begun her career right out of her mother's womb. Laura talks with Carla about life as a fat actress, the current and exciting focus on plus-size Hollywood a la Gabrielle Sidibe, Rebel Wilson, Melissa McCarthy, Danielle Brooks, and Brooke Elliott, the possibility of size-blind casting, and also her work with Impact Theatre. Full Body Frequency is Visible, Viable, Voluptuous Radio. We'll be right back. I can make an impact in the world. Young people
1: think that we can't make a difference, but sometimes we can make the biggest difference.
0: You just have to find something that you're passionate about and use your talents and your abilities to volunteer. Volunteering doesn't have to be a chore.
2: There is no better feeling than helping somebody else. You can see one person smile. It can really open up your heart to new things. See a need and change the world.
0: Are you a young volunteer making a difference? Apply for the Prudential Spirit of Community Award. Visit spirit.prudential.com.
1: joined by Carla Stillwell, an award-winning and critically acclaimed actress, director, playwright, and producer. Stillwell has been a performer for over three decades and began working with Impact in 1997 and made the company her creative home. She is the managing producer for Impact, as well as playwright in residence, and a resident director with the company. Stillwell is a teaching artist for Impact, CAPE, Chicago Arts Partners in Education, and the Steppenwolf Theater. She also hosts regular creative writing workshops at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Columbia College Chicago. Most recently, she's become a regular contributor to the online theater magazine Howl Round, hosted by Emerson College of Boston. And she's written several popular articles, including What Do We Tell Our Young Playwrights Who Are Black?, and diversity, it's a noun. As a playwright, some of her credits include a one-woman show, Carla in Search of My Silky Underthings, Defending Myself, and she's adapted and directed the work of poet Oran Kenyatta, Tad in the Fifth City, which was noted in the top 25 plays of 2010 by the Chicago Theater Blog. And this work was also featured in the August Wilson Reading Roundtable series at the August Wilson Center for African-American Culture. Ms. Stillwell has also been commissioned to create work for the Theater 7 of Chicago and the Disable Museum of African-American History. Her children's show, When Good Broccoli Goes Bad, the musical, a show about healthy eating, is currently being produced by both the Disable Museum and the Chicago Park District. She went on to direct the critically acclaimed work She Calls Up the Sun, No Experience Necessary, The Last Saint on Sugar Hill, and Without Trace. She was the workshop director of two new works at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in August of 2014. And she has directed the remount of her critically acclaimed production, The Divine Order of Becoming, which is running now through June 7th at Chicago's Impact Theater. Carla Stillwell, welcome. Thank you for joining me on Full Body Frequency. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, what are your earliest memories of performing? My first big shot was kindergarten. Brent could not say his line in a Christmas play. Let's go find a baby Jesus. He was a shepherd, so I got his line because Michelle asked me if I could say it, and I did. So that was my first memory. That was the first time I was like, yes, I like this. <laughs> and, and then when I turned 10, um, a woman whose children I went to school with, Zahir Mohammed, started a children's performing company called In Good Company. She sent out the flyer and I was like, mommy, I want to do it. I want to do it. So I've been acting since I was 10 years old. So what are your earliest memories of being plus size? I've always been plus size. Okay. I mean, I, everybody in my family is big. Now, when did I realize? Yeah, when were you conscious about being plus size? Kindergarten. Can, okay, what was that? Um, my first day of kindergarten, somebody called me, some little girl called me fat. Mm. And I didn't know what that meant.
3: Oh, okay. I had
2: never been... Like, and she said it, like, it's not that I didn't know what it meant. Like, I heard everybody in my family was big, so fat and, you know, your big booty and da 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 It was always said with love. hmm And it was and something about the way those little girls asked me. I said, what? I didn't know what to do with this, so I went. And I talked to my mom, and I was like, Mommy, this girl called me fat. And she was like, well, the next time somebody calls you fat, Carla." You look them in the face and you tell them, I may be fat, but you're ugly and I can lose weight. So I said that. <laughs> that has been my attitude. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm me, you know? So so now, with that,
1: do you consider yourself a performer who happens to be... Plus size or fat? And if so, what are your earliest memories of being a plus size performer? Now, are we
2: going back to kindergarten or are we talking about something later? Uh, Later. But when I started to get, I developed very early. Okay. So I was plus size and curvy. I had boobs and butt. When they were trying to do costumes Ah. around when I was 12. And this was very, because it's that age where you're already kind of self-conscious. Right. And then they pull out all the kids' costumes and they don't fit me.
1: Right. And it's puberty as well. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Then my mother's jumping in on the scene like that was the only time. Because I danced, mm-hmm. I've always been very active and never had any problems with my body or doing anything else anybody else could do. Mm-hmm. But then I, it was always the clothes. Right, right. So that's when I first was like, mm-hmm. I'm a little different.
1: Right, right. Yeah. You have memories of shopping in Sears, going to the, what was it? The, what was the section we used to shop in? It wasn't called Husky. That was for the boys. That was for
2: the boys. I, I, don't, I don't even remember, child. Mm-hmm. But, yes, it was. And then, at a certain point, because I developed so early, my mother just stopped buying me children's clothes. Mm-hmm. When I was old enough to, like, wear things that weren't frilly or whatever, she, we would just shop in the women's section and she would alter it. My mother was a, she was a very talented woman. She was a seamstress. Mm. Me and my sisters, our clothes always had to be, something had to be done to make them fit right. Mm-hmm. My mother was very conscious because she was a plus-size woman her whole life. That was fashionista, kind of. So she was always very conscious of fitting in and looking like everyone else, just bigger. Clothes have always been a
1: yeah I understand <laughs> I, you, when you talked about your mom making adjustments to your clothes that mm-hmm. brought back memories of my mom who would sew for me as well mm-hmm. but also I remember being a girl scout a junior and the the top the Peter Pan collar uniform top didn't fit under my arms so I have very large arms and mm-hmm. so my mom added a, a, a is it a gusset? She mm-hmm. a piece underneath to expand the, the sleeve. So I remember those things. So Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I
2: went to Catholic school, too, so I couldn't wear the jumper, the mm-hmm. romper. Mm-hmm. I always had to wear the skirt. Separate. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, what do you call it, a pair? So everything was always a size smaller on the top than on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I lo- I've learned to love the separates job. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So speaking of loving the separates and loving yourself, when did you first tap into your full body frequency, living life as a plus size woman out loud and to the fullest?
2: I always have because I didn't know anything else. Mm, okay, I didn't know. I literally came from a family full of, and I guess it was. It's something I'm just now thinking about. That it's. I came from a family of women who thought they were super cute at no matter what size. And most of the women in my family, even if they were smaller, were curvy. Mm-hmm. Like we don't we're not like model size. And we're all short. So it was all these little short plus size buttercolored women running around. Thought they was cute. Everybody thought they was cute. And <laughs> I think I'm cute. And we tell each other, like, oh that's cute. You so cute. And it was my Family was so affirming mm-hmm. that I didn't, you know, the stuff that happens outside hits you, right? but it doesn't stick. I never, it never stuck because I'm pretty.
1: There, <laughs> like, yes, you are. And yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so now, how has this living in a larger-than-average body informed your craft as an actress, as a, as a writer, and even the way you direct other people and the space they occupy and the space you occupy? You know,
2: it became two things. Very interesting question because my, again, most, most things in my life go back to my mama because she was amazed. But she was very conscious. Like, one of the things in our house is, like, you walking too heavy. Like, she was very conscious of, you are already big. Don't be clumping around. So when I got in theater, that worked for me. So I was, I'm, all, I'm light on my feet, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and very conscious. My body, because I'm bigger, I was always very conscious of space. So I was always good with blocking. Because I've always been doing blocking. Mm-hmm. I've always been moving my body to fit the world. So, and when I was acting more, because I like to say I quit, but something to come up. But anyway, <laughs> uh, when I was acting, it was useful that I was hyper aware of how I sounded moving through space and how I looked my angles like, acting teachers, didn't never have to tell me, watch your angles, watch how you sit." because I, I just did it naturally. I always had to do it. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. You go in a restaurant, you kind of got to get the lay of the land before you go between them chairs. Absolutely. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, but that's mm-hmm. been my life. Mm-hmm. So on stage, it actually helps me
3: mm-hmm.
2: that I knew how to use my body. Um, and it helps me direct because I know how to tell people to use their body. Because I've always been hyper-conscious about body size and what a body should and should not be able to do. So as a director, I, I'm, like, I'm looking at people like, I know what your problem is. Now, I know what you're physically not doing, and I can adjust people. Well, that's a beautiful thing. This is the first time I've ever sat down and talked about being a plus-size woman first. I've never put my size first.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't even put my size in my description of myself because I like to tell people, you know, I'm a little black girl from the South side of Chicago. I am first black. Then I am woman. Then I am artist. Mm-hmm. But I never plus being a plus size woman. Like that has never entered into the description and not because I'm like, I don't need to be labeled. That's not it. Right. It's just so much of who I am. Mm hmm. I just exist in this place, because I never thought about these things because my body has always been my body. It's been a little smaller, it's been a little bigger, but it's always been bigger than average. It's certain things like the adjustment we made with the chair. I'm also only five, two. So <laughs> right? <laughs> you right. know So that's something that I know when I walk into a space. I came in here. I looked at all the chairs. Like, which yeah, chair? Okay. Oh, that goes down. Okay, I can see it. That's how I feel about being a woman of size.
1: It's it's really unconscious. Yeah. The way we walk through the world. Yeah. I mean, other people see us, or they don't see us. Mm-hmm. Either we're 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 hyper visible, or we're totally invisible to mm-hmm. them. But for us, I think it's just something. It's just who you are. Yeah. So you're listening to Full Body Frequency. This is Laura Rice. And today I'm speaking with director, writer, <laughs> and maybe actress again, Carla Stillwell. Her award-winning work, The Divine Order of Becoming, is being presented by Impact Theater in Chicago now through June 7th. We'll continue the conversation after this break. I was talking to my best friend. I told her I wasn't feeling like myself. I had pain in my pelvic area and bleeding that wasn't
3: normal for me. She said I had to go to the doctor turned out i had uterine cancer a type of gynecologic cancer i received treatment and we're confident i'll be fine please listen to your body if something doesn't feel right for two weeks or longer see your doctor get the inside knowledge about gynecologic cancers a message from the inside knowledge campaign in the u.s department of health and human services
4: And they don't
1: We're back, and if you've just tuned into Full Body Frequency, I'm speaking with critically acclaimed director, writer, actress, and producer, Carla Stillwell. Her play, The Divine Order of Becoming, is running now through June 7th at Chicago's Impact Theater. So, between writing and directing and producing, what's your preferred artistic expression?
2: I love to write. And why? Acting was only in competition with me with writing. Like, writing has always been a part of my life. Liter- literature and words have always been very important to me. I grew up in a house where people read a lot and talked about it. And two of my sisters are poets, and one got was published, and she was in high school. And, like, words have been very important. And it's also how I see the world. Like, I don't when I look at things, I don't just see a door. I see a wooden door and the grain. I see the description. So I'm kind of in love with writing.
1: You have such a wonderful way with the written word. Thank you. And uh, two of your one woman shows are entitled Your Love <laughs> is Like Hot Fried Chicken yes. and Carla in Search of My Silky Underthings. Tell me about those. I mean, I'm just intrigued by the language you use for your titles. Oh, so I can only imagine what these shows are about. Oh, Lord.
2: Uh, Carla and my Masuki and the things. I wrote that when I was in my 20s and nobody should allow children to write. But <laughs> I wrote that because that is the piece I wrote mostly about the sexuality of a big girl, like that is about me. And it was a lot about my journey through these relationships with these men and being comfortable with myself at that point. It's like, because I was acting at that point, so my weight was a lot of the conversation in my life. That's what that piece is about. So it has also just annoyed me. It annoys me to no end that there are no sized ingenues mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when I was out here in this world being young I had my fair share of fun with the boys and it's just that I'm not going to get on that right now I'm just going to answer your question okay. so that ooh, I was about to go Lord. I was about to go into a whole thing about the world but that's what that show is about. Carla still what your love is like hot fried chicken so that's really a series of R&B-inspired boop songs because I just decided that I wanted to do an album. <laughs> so okay. I wrote me and Sean Wallace, my composer, and dear friend sat down and we wrote like eight songs. Uh, Your Love's Like High Fried Chicken, Negro Take Out the garbage. <laughs> my gospel song, Grateful for My spank. Cause I have a girdle for every day of the week. week. Oh. I got dress-up spanks. I got everyday spanks. I got night-night spank. I wear my spank. Okay, She's, they get their money from me. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've been spanking in the company. Spank tights. I need to get some <laughs> Spock and spank. Woo! So when are they coming back? Are you gonna remount them? Carla Stillwell in search of is probably the deadest. Okay. Cause I literally wrote that when I was twenty-five. It's fine. It's gone. So, but would you update it? No.
1: No, okay. No.
2: That's one of those pieces I've moved past it. Okay. But Carla Stillwell, Still Your Love Is Like Hot Fried Chicken will absolutely be um, performed again somewhere. I don't know. And then I wanted to do a new album, Call Still Live from the Corner 63rd and Cottage Grove. Oh, my. Mm. I like my comedy. <laughs> I do like my comedy. I'm going to jump to
1: your directing right now. Yes. One critic said, Carla Stilwell directs without trace with laser timing and a keen control of the emotionally latent subject matter. And for those who haven't seen this wonderful work, and I have, it raises the questions, how far would you go to maintain political power and social freedom? Is black America creating its own genocide by being sabotaged and brainwashed? And although ours is not, a political discussion, watching the rebellion in Baltimore around the death of Freddie Gray has brought me to the sense of anxiety, foreboding, and relief without Trace's audience's experience. So beyond the playwright's scene descriptions, what informs the way you direct such an intense piece and with the kind of latitude that you give your actors?
2: I don't really give actors latitude. Like, uh, <laughs> okay, my actors be bad to me so bad. Oh wow, that's a hard question. Because I just direct what's in front of me. Okay. Sometimes a writer is more like specific mm-hmm. about I want this and this and this and this. Sometimes a writer gives you something that has less structure. And so you have to make structure without trace was Anything about social, about rebellion and uprising, and it just it speaks to me. So that piece was wasn't difficult. Okay. I, as a person, I, I like action movies. Okay. I like guns. I like to you know stage combat in college and know how to use the broadsword and things like that. So I like to fight. <laughs> I like to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. so I, I'm not afraid of that tension mm-hmm. and I think that that's what people when you see a piece that's really intense and really tight that's a director and a writer that aren't really afraid of that tension so that's that I mean with with that piece
1: well it's very clear that you're not afraid of tension no it's a, it's, I, a, I don't, I don't. it's an incredible piece it, oh, it thank really you. it really was
2: and I and I too I had to admit when I started directing that I am from the tv generation okay and I just don't have two and a half hours in me of a show. I don't have the energy for blackouts. Mm-hmm. I can't stand them mm-hmm. because it takes you out of the moment. Mm-hmm. So I realized after my first couple of pieces that I just like that runaway train feeling. I like a 90-minute piece that's just crisp and clean and we, we go from this moment to that moment and there are no blackouts and then a whole lot of scene changes and we're not waiting for actors to change clothes. And I actually write that way as well. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in keeping it moving. I, mm-hmm. You know, I know people want to get back to their life and twitter and
1: <laughs> right right and it's it's all about economy mm-hmm. right there you keep that train running on time and right the message is there boom you receive it and you move
2: on right mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so that that's one of the things I, I just don't like to take the audience out of the moment we appreciate that <laughs>
1: Really <laughs> appreciate that. Ooh. This is Laura Rice, and I'm speaking with director, playwright, and actress Carla Stilwell. She is the managing producer of the 25-year-old theater company, Impact, african Center theater. Impact exists to develop, nurture, and sustain African-centered theater, an artistic expression grounded in the many cultures and traditions of the African continent and its diaspora. Impact's work includes main stage theater productions, a playwright's laboratory, standing productions, original music, a publishing company, an arts and education program, and workshops and master classes. So now, your current project, the award-winning and critically acclaimed The Divine Order of Becoming, which you wrote and have directed, In this play, we watch the relationship of mother and daughter unfold with joy and angst, fear, and forgiveness. And Erica, the main character, ultimately realizing her mother's strength and humanity. So being a mother's daughter, I'm intrigued. Tell
2: me more. I wrote this piece. My mother, Charlene Stilwell, passed in 1999. Mm -hmm. And I'm the youngest. And I cared for her and my father. My dad died in, two, in 2003. And after my father died, I wanted to honor because I wouldn't have gotten through that. I wouldn't have gotten through taking care of my father or taking care of myself or taking care of her without a lot of what she taught me. Because mm. my mother was a very wise chick. And I wanted to take an opportunity to pay homage to her memory and our relationship because it developed from simply a mother-daughter relation you know the typical mother-daughter i'm in charge and you're not to not a friendship Mm -hmm. but a kinsmanship like me and my mother were connected as i got her okay i got it and so we were very close From the time I was about 17 until I was 26 when she... That's what the story is based on. It's not mildly. I'll say it's almost autobiographical. You know, you change stuff or whatever. But it's mostly the things that my mother taught me, good, bad, and otherwise. Okay. And me learning that she was like a human being.
1: Isn't that amazing when you finally see your parents as human beings? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, like, me looking at her, by the time I was, like, 20... I was like, you're like a human, (laughs) (laughs) and you made choices that you, like, thought about, and you did, like, wow, and it was fascinating, so I like this little play, it did well the last time, I didn't direct it the first time it ran in 2005, but but I'm directing it this time, I kind of like it.
1: It's back as part of impact season of remounting and Mm revival. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I have this one I have not seen. Yay! So as you mentioned earlier, you were born and raised in Chicago. Mm -hmm. You are a product of the Catholic school system Mm -hmm. in Columbia College. Yeah. So you cut your, your theater teeth in Chicago, which is, and I will say this, having worked in theater in New York, L.A., and Chicago, Chicago is the most fertile, imaginative, and living ground for actors in this country. We'll start with Steppenwolf, Second City, ETA, Creative Arts Foundation, Impact, the Goodman Theater, Congo Square, and the list goes on. But not only that, you travel extensively around the country to perform, to direct, and to present your plays. That said, do you have a desire, or have you had a desire, to live and work in New York City or L.A.?
2: Absolutely not. Let me say this, I have no desire to live in L.A. or be anywhere near L.A. I just don't like it, and I'm just gonna be real. I enjoy New York, I enjoy the theater scene, I like my time there, I like working there, I don't wanna live there, I love Chicago. I love the city. I love the art scene here. I love the, the cultural art scenes. In New York, the culturally specific theaters, they're not Broadway, so who cares? Right. And it's kind of sparse. Mm-hmm. They don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. There, there are many culturally diverse artists that get together and have companies. The city doesn't give them the resources.
1: Right. Many of them um, don't have seasons.
2: Right. They do a lot of uh, staged readings and they're real fertile with development. The opportunity to do a three-show season of culturally specific work is not available anywhere else in the country. I was at um, a theater communications group conference a couple of years back. We're in in some panel, whatever it is, and this girl says, because we went around the room, there were a few Chicago people there. And we're, people were like, well, you know, I work here, and then I work at the Goodman, and then I teach. Da, da, da. At the time, I was still teaching with Steppenwolf. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm managing producer Impact. I'm a teaching artist with Steppenwolf. This girl from out of town, she was like, wait a minute. I just have to say this is fascinating. All you people from Chicago, you all, like, work at other theaters? Like, you don't just stay at your... Th- we're like, we gotta eat, right? <laughs> gotta hustle. <laughs> gotta Got hustle. Gig. So that, I mean, just that, mm-hmm. in and of itself, makes this such an amazing, magical place to create art. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not only the hustle, but it's the opportunities mm-hmm. that are out there for you to tap into. Absolutely, here in Chicago.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So we're gonna jump back to L. A. to Hollywood for for a minute, Ooh. because. Specifically in Hollywood and and specifically in film and television, there seems to be a number of plus-size actresses, Amber Riley of Glee and Dancing with the Stars, mm-hmm. Rebel Wilson, who's been in film and her now defunct super fun night and Daniel Brooks of Orange is the New Black, Brooke Elliott from Drop Dead Diva, Tamela Mann. She's an alum of Tyler Perry Studios mm-hmm. um, and also a gospel recording star. And now she's starring in with her husband, Man and Wife, mm-hmm. and then Gabrielle Sidibay for American Horror Story and Empire. And also Melissa McCarthy films, Mike and Molly, mm-hmm. and now her own clothing line. So it seems to me that, that plus-size women have more visibility, have more leading woman opportunities in the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, in fact, that they have, and, and this is a pun that's intended, a large fan base for not only viewing these entertainment vehicles but the money to purchase the merchandise sold around these vehicles? Mm-hmm. So is, is, that, is that realistic?
2: Is that true? I mean, what's going on in Hollywood? I believe that it is. We live in an interesting time. Social media is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I believe that when we were talking about the Nielsen ratings back in the day, and it's like, oh, well, this is what people want to see. You were taking a sample from a very small demographic. I think that the opportunity for people to be like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I like this girl. The fact that people like Gabriette. She has millions of followers. She has been praised. Like her speeches, anytime she talks and, the, and, and talks very openly about how she's been ridiculed and, and not throwing up the middle finger to the whole idea that she has to be a certain size is attractive to many people. And people are, studios look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. nobody's stupid Mm -hmm. they're like hold up they gonna watch because this girl got 18 million followers right right on twitter on
1: twitter you know what i'm Mm -hmm. saying
2: like Mm -hmm. so we this is not a game she is not we don't care how she look right because it's all about money it's all about money it's all about money and i think that it is a very exciting time for women Mm -hmm. for plus size women for people of color because the establishment is starting to see. Wait a minute, these people want to watch Empire? Mm-hmm. People will tune in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what?
1: Yeah, we bring something to the table.
2: Right. Absolutely. So, but what, one of the things that
1: you talked about in a previous conversation that I found fascinating, and I guess I should have realized that having gone to Universal Studios on the tour and seen the shoes that Mel Gibson wore. Okay, so he's got these six-inch lifts. I did not realize how height-challenged he (laughs) is. So you mentioned that both in terms of height and age, there are some serious barriers to entry for some full-figured actresses. Explain that, because I know, just based on the women we've spoken about before, like Amber Riley's 5'3", Rebel Wilson is 5'3", Gabourey Sidibay is 5'5". Brooke Elliott is five foot five inches. Danielle Brooks is five foot four.
2: What is going on here? Here's the thing really um, acting is a short people's game. Mm. You know, like every sport has its requirements. It is something about being able to fit into spaces. It's about space. It's about um, making a picture. And it is easier. To shoot and maneuver tiny little people. When you meet a six foot tall actor, they look ginormous. Like Liam Neeson is like six four. He's like ginormous because Tom Cruise is five five. Like (laughs) all of the all like Matt Matt Damon is five five. Like these are tiny, and that's just the game. That's the that's just our, most men are never more than six feet tall. Most women are never, that are actresses, are never more than five, seven. And that's across the board. Mm. It's just a short people's game. Well, that's an
1: advantage for short people like us. Well, I actually, I'm five, five, but, I, but in my family, I'm considered short.
2: Yeah, see, no, we, I come from the littles, okay? Like, <laughs> You catch somebody
1: 5'8 in my family, you're like, that's a giant. (laughs) Even though some of these women are playing leading women, mostly in comedies, except for Orange is the New Black and, and Empire, but in those roles, we're mostly playing sidekicks, best friends from a certain age. And then at a certain age, you become the wise woman, the grandmother, the sage, sometimes even the mammy. In terms of age, when do we stop becoming the
2: sidekick,
1: not the side chick, but the sidekick yeah. and go to becoming the wise old woman?
2: Like, like about 40. Wow. I'm going to tell all my age. I'm 42. Okay. I still look a little too young to be totally the can. wise old woman, mm-hmm. but I definitely can be the, the smart auntie. Mm-hmm. Like now I'm at ah, okay. smart auntie age. I'm a foster mother age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm at that age. But depending on how you look, 40, 45, you can move right into that next level okay. of not being a sexual human being. Mm. You, when you were talking about Us being these sidekicks or uh, the wise sage or what? Don't know if you saw me rolling my eyes like I had to stop from look Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I don't know when that's going to change. And even in the role, like I think it's drop dead, oh diva, diva, yeah. Like she has a love interest, but it's all about how but could he love her is big or could he, or couldn't he like, she can't even. Right. Have that. So she has a
1: thin woman's soul. Right. She's in a fat person's body. (laughs) Right. And the love is unrequited. I have to tell you, I I had to stop watching that show. It became so frustrating to me and so
2: unrealistic.
1: It's so cliche. It's so cliche as as well. Mm -hmm. It's
2: so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, you know, that it's, disheartening it was disheartening to me as a young woman you know i was a pretty good actress i've won some awards i'm okay i do it okay
1: mm-hmm. you uh, do it great don't
2: thank you uh but i'm i'm like i am in this cast mm-hmm. because i would get cast mm-hmm. i'm in this cast and i am a better actress than this woman right mm-hmm. but she is thin mm-hmm. and then that is the illusion that she can have a relationship now, I know in real life, she ain't dating nobody, and I have two boyfriends. All right. And, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh, I ain't never had no problem no men's now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And But a lot of my plus-size friends have never either. They, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. from that group of women where we sit around eating ho-hos talking about how lonely we are. I'm not from that that, that, that section, I didn't know it existed. And when I see it, it offends me. I'm, I'm not saying that's not somebody's experience because every, everybody is in a different place and a different um, community where things are valued differently. But I, that has not been my experience. Mm-hmm. But, that has, but I am forced to make that my experience as an artist, as an actor. It's and it's one character. of the reasons mm-hmm. that I, I walked away from. I've started to walk away. It's funny, I was talking to somebody, because right now, I am still too big. I have to lose a few pounds, say, if I wanted to start back acting, Mm -hmm. to, you know, start doing commercial work. Because I'm a little too big to be the big girl. Okay. Because
1: also, if you're talking with commercial work, are you talking about television? Television Television. and
2: and commercials, um, TV shows. I'm too big to be the big girl. What the hell does that mean? That's crazy. It's crazy as heck. But that's the business. Like, that's that's what's happening to plus-size women. Even to be the secretary or the best friend, you still got to get down to that size 12. Right.
1: I did a commentary last week on plus-size models, and Mm. now the standard for plus-size models is is four. But let's not even jump into it because that's just absolute (laughs) insanity. So you blog, and yes. you write about colorblind casting. And when we return from this break, let's talk about the possibility of sizeblind casting. Mm-hmm. More with Carla Stilwell, writer and director of The Divine Order of Becoming, now playing in Chicago's Impact Theater through June 7th.
5: i a bit longer While we are getting stronger the time to heal Will be unstoppable Don't know what I did it for I needed to know That it was always real Of space to another galaxy. Our polarity shifted around. There's nothing else left holding us down, and it's just gravitation. No.
1: Body Frequency is back with Carla Stillwell, full figured and fabulous writer, director, producer, and actress. Again, Impact Theater's production of The Divine Order of Becoming, which she wrote and directs, is running now through June 7th in Chicago. Before the break, I mentioned your blogs on HowlRound.com, and that's H O W L. R-O-N-D.com, where you explore issues of diversity, audience development, casting, honoring the playwright's intent, respecting historical context, and mission. However, you also talk about colorblind casting. Mm. But what I want to talk about is sizeblind casting. What would theater, television, and film look like with sizeblind casting?
2: I mean, it would look like the world. <laughs> it would look like the street. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. if people cast the best person for the role, um, no matter the size or whatever, That you know, one of the most brilliant pieces of casting, I know we're talking about um, full-figured women, but one of the most brilliant pieces of casting right now is on um, Scandal. Okay. With Cyrus Bean.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, he's absolutely wonderful. Stepping with alum,
2: But he is not handsome. He is older. He is, he is not thin and has great body. But he has been cast in this role where he has to be, a, where men are attracted to him. Mm-hmm. Where he has like, that's what it would look like. You know, Grey's Anatomy is another. Well, everything. I'm. I'm. Shonda Rhimes. I I you, I love her. Mm-hmm. She's my spiritual sister okay. and my soul. Like I want to be her when I grow up, because uh, she's amazing. But everything about that, all of her shows casting, is the. Is what casting
1: should be. So now, as a plus size woman who directs and writes and acts, specifically for your work as a director. And as a writer, what is your obligation to uh, size blind casting?
2: I cast who's best. Right now, there's a, um, a plus-size woman in my show. Here's the problem. The plus-size girls aren't coming through the door. Ah. We're not in the business like we should be. Mm-hmm. It's confidence. You don't get that many plus-size actresses. Women don't think they can do that because... They're not a size two or four or six. So that's one of the things that, you know, it's kind of a, a circular problem. I'm casting who's best. Okay. But how many girls are not coming? But well, maybe you need to have a, a workshop for plus size
1: actresses to have the Carla Stillwell experience. Seriously. Yes. Maybe I do. Girl, yes. Yeah, train them.
2: To grow a group of actresses. And the other thing is, we as plus-size women are not comfortable in our body. So when you get a plus-size actress that doesn't have the best training, there's Mm -hmm. tension. Like, Mm -hmm. physically, the the woman can't do what needs to be done because... She doesn't understand her body. She's not comfortable mm. with it.
1: And so she won't occupy that
2: space. And she won't occupy space. That's a problem. So
1: now there are clearly limited run, plus size focused theater productions. But one of the things that's missing in theater, at least I couldn't find it when I, when I did some research, is an institutional space explicitly for plus size theater that regularly employs plus size actors, production teams, and tells our story in the first person. Mm. Does that... Does such a theater exist? Mm-mm. No. Okay. No. Do you
2: have a vision for that? Um. For creating that space. You know, I feel about I feel about being plus size like I feel about being black. Mm-hmm. When I write a story, I don't write about, never use those things, those terms about. And we are a people of da da da. Gotcha. I just write mm-hmm. the story, and the the story that we in the divine order of becoming, there's this whole thing about pressing hair. Mm-hmm. There are those of us that understand what that means. Right. And those of us that don't. Mm-hmm. And that's fine.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
2: Like, I feel that way about plus size work. For me, it's just in my work. Of course I'm going to cast, you know, not average size women. Because it's a story about my life. You <laughs> like, of Of Mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm going to at some point write a whole scene about chicken. You know, I talk, I write, (laughs) uh, I wrote a whole song about Spanx Mm -hmm. because it's my life. I wear them. Okay. You know, like (laughs) Mm -hmm. comparing a man's love to hot fried chicken, that's my life. Okay. (laughs) You know? (laughs) (laughs) So, So, speaking of your life,
1: what's next for Carla Stillwell?
2: Oh, man. This summer, my children's show, When Good Broccoli Goes Bad, will be running at certain parks in the city. I know we'll be at Maggie Daly Park in July. So, all of these will be in July. So, that's coming up because that's my favorite thing ever, When Good Broccoli Goes Bad. Makes me so happy. I got next season coming up. Okay. We haven't announced our season yet. We will be, so I'll be working on some stuff there. My show, Bodies, which uh, premiered in 2012, I think, is getting published by Chicago Drama Works, which is a new publishing company that is devoted to publishing the work of Chicago artists. That publication will be out this summer. That's wonderful. Which is very exciting. Now, what
1: parting words of wisdom do you have for aspiring plus-size folks who want to act, direct, produce, write? And for those actually who are already doing
2: it, how do they stay the course? You have to have a very healthy dose of I don't give a what. You can't care what anybody thinks or what anybody wants you to do or what you're supposed to be. You have to have a healthy dose of I don't give one blankety-blank so that you can keep moving. I've always just kept moving. I didn't plan to be a director. I started my life as an actor. I didn't plan to be a writer. I started my life, my artist life as an actor. But you have to be open and let the things happen. And tell your story. Your plus-size story is just as important as... Your African-American story is just as important as your story of abuse. That's your story. Then tell it. Yeah, I think that's it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone, that's this week's Plus One. Carla Stillwell, it was indeed a joy to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for
2: having me.
1: so for more information on Carla Stillwell or Impact Theaters production of her work, The Divine Order of Becoming, running through June 7th in Chicago, please visit impact.org. M is in Mary, P is in Paul, double A, C is in Cat T.org. For more information about this or past shows, please visit the Full Body Frequency Facebook page.
0: Until next time, tune into your own full body frequency where large is luscious living